We're a link on the on a chain that needs to be bound together to minister to needs in this city. And God is calling us specifically to certain areas. And uh, I just see God begin to raise up in several areas, places that God, I believe, is calling this church to minister. And so He's here not only because He's like a son to me and I, and I love Jonathan and I want to see him do well, but He's here because the message that He's delivering is a message straight to this church and God is calling and raising up ministries, literally raising up ministries in this church as we speak. And God's calling people to areas of ministry. And uh, we're not about talking about things. We're about doing things. And so He's going to be here to to, to really minister uh, to a certain area that I feel like God's calling us. But uh, Jonathan uh, grew up uh, in, in my youth group. And even younger than that, I uh, started a ranger program. And he was even in the ranger program with me. And, uh, and I just, uh, at a very... Early age, I could just see that God was calling him into ministry and just very proud that um, God has called him into ministry. And, he's, and, and I just want to uh, be a part of what God's doing. Uh, you catch people in their lives at all different kinds of ministry. You see them when they first are launched into ministry. Then you see some if they've been in for a while. And then some even visit here that we've seen for 20, 30 years. And uh, so I'm proud to be a part of this ministry in Alex. Uh, his wife, I, I was telling her this morning, I can remember the first time she walked in the youth group, probably 12 or 13 years old. I remember the exact girl she walked in with and the exact service that she walked in. And uh, I told her who she was with, and she said, that's exactly who was with me that night. And uh, I didn't tell her this, though. Uh, sometimes you can just sense that God has a pull in somebody's life. And I could just tell even the first time she walked in the building that God had a call on your life and, and, and God had His hand upon you. And that's not something that's always obvious and people say, well, how is that? And it's just something God um, God knows what His plans and His purposes are. So give them a big hand today as they uh, come and minister to you. Jonathan. Thanks, Chad. Tell you what, it is a privilege to be here with you guys today. Uh, like Chad said, we've known each other for a pretty long time, and I feel like I would be missing a great opportunity if I didn't share at least one story of when Chad was my uh, youth pastor, so I figured that would maybe be a good place to start. Um, like he said, I was uh, in the youth ministry when, when he was the youth pastor, and uh, you know, Chad just always has like a, a very freeing leadership style. He, he holds the reins pretty loosely and likes to, likes to give the people that he leads a lot of freedom. And so, uh, that expressed itself in a lot of different ways throughout our teenage years. Uh, but one of the most memorable was when we would go to camp and, um, you know, Chad, Chad's youth group didn't look like a lot of other youth groups at camp. We had kind of some of the troublemaker kids and the ones that you wouldn't really expect to be at a church camp. And, uh, we, uh, one year we, we had about probably 50 kids going to camp and a bunch of guys. And so we, uh, we requested this one dorm that was, uh, the campground. And I, I think it was called Cedars. And it was just this big open building with a bunch of bunk beds. And it was like the worst dorm on the whole campground. Uh, didn't have any air conditioning at all. 
Um, it was old. It was probably one of the oldest buildings on the campground. And we requested it because we all wanted to be together in the same room. And, and we said, you know what? If we're going to get the worst dorm on the campground, we ought to dress it up a little bit. And so I'm sure at first we were thinking, oh, we'll, we'll like bring some posters or something or, you know, something just to make it look more cool. Well, by the time it was all said and done, we had packed the back of the church van with uh, this little refrigerator thing full of sodas and a disco ball and we were pulling the stage lights off out of the youth building and we brought those and so at night whenever we would be in there for our evening devotions you would hear like this loud music and there'd be lights going everywhere and uh, anyways it was a lot of fun but another way that that freedom expressed itself is that Chad always gave us a lot of freedom to grow and a freedom to, uh, you know, sort of grow into the ministries that God was calling us into. And so um, I'll always be grateful to Chad for giving me the opportunities that he did um, to preach to my peers, um, which led to opportunities to speak at schools and, and at our adult service. And so if it weren't for those opportunities, I don't know that I would be up here preaching before day, but here I am. And so, um, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be here with you guys. Um, you know, I've, I've visited a lot of different churches and sometimes when you walk into a church, that's not your home church, it feels like you're a visitor. Um, but this is one of those churches that I walked into and I felt like it was home. You know, I felt like I was with the family of God, you know, and, and, uh, I can tell that you guys just really understand what it means to be in God's family and uh, to have that sense of community. So it's really great to be here with you and to minister to you. Um, I want to talk a little bit, um, like Chad said, kind of about, about this idea of our position in the world. Um, and so if, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 15. We're going to be starting in verse 18. So John 15, starting in verse 18. And while you turn there, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what I do. Um, I'm not a full-time minister. I work for a small team in Evansville called For Evansville. And basically, we exist to help bring collaboration among churches and nonprofits and businesses and other organizations around issues that are facing our community. And so um, one of the issues that we're focused on right now is foster care. So how can we pull churches together? How can we pull the different government organizations and nonprofits together to um, to collaborate around these issues? And uh, ultimately, our goal isn't just for the good of the city, but for the advancing of the gospel. And we say it this way, we want to see the whole church bring the whole gospel to the whole person in the whole city. So what that looks like is not just one church or a handful of churches, but the body of Christ bringing the whole gospel, meaning our proclamation of the message of God, but also the demonstration of His kingdom um, to the whole person, not just, not just people's spiritual life, not just their souls, but their holistic view as a person, their their gifts and talents and vocation and uh, education and their well-being as a person um, to the in the whole city. So we don't want to see any part of our community untouched by the gospel. And so um, 
we we do that because we believe that God has placed his church just not just the congregations but his church scattered throughout a community for a reason i don't think it's a mistake that your church is here in this community i don't think it's a mistake that god has placed you as an individual christian in the place that he's put you and so uh that's what i want to talk to you about a little bit today and we're going to we're going to start in john chapter 15 before we do that let's just let's just pray father we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to open up your word we just pray that um that we would be challenged by it today god that you would be working in our hearts through your holy spirit and um god that as we as we read your word and as we study it together this morning that you would just um, that you just bring us a fresh revelation of who you are and uh, what your mission is for us here in this world and, and specifically in the communities that you've placed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so um, what, what I'm going to be doing for most of my message today is exploring this simple concept, this simple idea, and the idea is this, that you don't belong here. You don't belong here. And so... We're going to unpack that idea and we're going to start in John chapter 15 verse 18. And, and what it says there, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. So you don't belong in the world. The Bible says that God has called you out of the world that that when you become one with Christ you're called out of the world and that you no longer belong here but you belong in God's presence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone and the new is here. So you become this new person when you're in Christ, right? And you're given a new set of values you're given a new perspective on life. You're given a new approach to your relationships with other people and with God. You're made a completely new person and you become a person that all of a sudden doesn't belong here. All of a sudden, your values and your way of life are incompatible with the world that's around you. Another place, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21, Paul's writing and, and he describes this situation. He says, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be like his glorious body. How many of you are looking forward to that moment when he comes and finishes the work that he started? But do you see the contrast here in these verses? Do you see the difference between this world that we used to live in? Do you see the difference between what you used to be when you belonged to this world and who you are now in Christ? He writes about, he writes about being headed for destruction, serving the God of your own desires, pursuing our own pathetic glory. 
and being an enemy of the cross of Christ. That's the position that we were in. That's the position that you were in. An enemy of the cross of Christ, headed for destruction. But then Christ saved you. And He made you new. He made you into a new person with a new set of values. And He brought you out of that so that you no longer belong in this world. You belong in God's presence. You belong in the kingdom of heaven. And that's where your citizenship is. And here's why the world hates you for it. Because ever since the fall of man, ever since the very beginning in the garden, this world that God created has been in revolt against Him. The world, the whole system of this world that we live in is opposed to God. And so... Uh, we'll read on in, in John chapter 15. He says, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know who sent me. If not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, They would not be guilty of sin, but as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. This is, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and, and what he's painting here is this picture of, to a person who submits to the cross of Christ, a person who, who comes under Christ's lordship and enters into his kingdom, the cross is a saving grace. It's this thing that we celebrate and that we're so grateful for. But to the person who is opposed to God, to the person who is self-reliant and self-righteous, the cross is this offensive symbol that they're not good enough on their own. It's this offensive reminder that they need a Savior. It's this offensive declaration that the world was broken by sin. And Christ's redeeming work in you testifies to His righteousness. It testifies to His grace. And it testifies to the fact that the world was broken and it needed a Savior. It testifies to the message of the cross. And so this world that, this world that is opposed to God, that's in revolt, that's in rebellion against His righteousness, it looks at that work in you And it rejects it. It says, you don't have any right to say that about me. You don't have any right to say the way that I should live. You don't have any right to say that I'm broken or that I'm, that I'm wrong. And so this is the tension that we live in as Christians. This is kind of our, this is kind of our position in the world. This is our position as exiles in the world. That we're citizens of heaven. And we're living in a world that's broken and opposed to God. That we bear witness to the redeeming work of Christ by the work that He's doing in us. And we bear witness to the authority that Christ has over all things by serving Him, by loving Him. Our life is a declaration that God is in control and that Christ is the King. And so the world that's in rebellion is opposed to that. And this is the tension that we live in as Christians. And what I want to talk about today is how do we respond to this tension? 
You know, we talked about this, this tension a little bit during the prayer time. That we're in this place where we, we recognize the realities of the kingdom of God. We recognize the blessings that have been, that we've been made heirs to. But we live in a world where those, those things aren't always realized. We live in a world where there's still pain and hurt and we still experience suffering. This is the tension that we live in as Christians. And so I think one of the most natural responses to this tension, the most natural response maybe to this opposition is to take up arms against it and to fight back, to, to oppose the world that opposes us. If the world hates us, then it feels right to despise the world in return and to just long for the day when we can be set free from this world. But God doesn't despise the world. The, the scripture we read says that the world hates us, but it doesn't say that we're called to hate it in return because John 3.16 says that God loved the world in this way that He gave His only Son. And so... The world isn't the enemy, it's the territory over which the war is being fought. Or rather, it's the, it's the territory over which Christ's victory is being realized, is being asserted. Second Corinthians, uh, chapter five, that verse that we read before about being a new creation. The verses following that, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And then it says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God hasn't called us to be opposed to the world. He's called us to be reconciling the world to Him. Because that's what He's accomplishing in Christ. And He's given us that ministry of not of not rejecting the world, not pushing the world away, not opposing the world or being against it on God's behalf, but making, making peace with the world on God's behalf through Christ and through His redeeming work. And then lastly, John 3.17 says, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And so, if we put ourselves in a position to be against this world that is opposed to us, then we're being counterproductive to the work of God, which is to save and redeem the world. And so, instead of being anti-culture, instead of being against this world that is broken, we should be for the redemption of culture. We should be for the redemption of our neighbors, the redemption of the world around us. So when it comes to art and technology and film and music, we don't need to be opposed to those things. We need to be for the redemption of those things. So I, I think that oftentimes we look at, we look at the entertainment landscape that we're saturated with in our society that's so full of celebration of sinful things. And we, we just want to reject it all together. And we should reject the celebration of wickedness and the celebration of things that aren't of God. But rather than separating ourselves from them, rather than being opposed, we need to be thinking about how can we reconcile these things? How can we redeem art? How can we redeem music? How can we redeem culture 
for the glory of God? How can we take these things that have been twisted up and broken by the world and how can we seek to see them restored to their original purpose? This doesn't mean that there needs to be a Christian version of all of those things. Um, I, I heard a quote, and I don't know who it's from. I tried to find it out. Um, so I'll probably just say that it was C.S. Lewis or somebody like that. Um, but the quote is this, that um, Christians have written a lot of songs about Christianity but what the world needs is for Christians to write songs about everything else. You know, we, we have a tendency um, in the arts or in business to feel like Christians have to have like a, you know, like you need to be a Christian musician if you're gifted in that way. Or you need to be a Christian maker or a Christian writer if you're gifted in that way. Um, but in reality... God's called us to use our gifts to contribute to the culture around us, to contribute to the world around us, and to make art for for the world um, that is from a Christian perspective but maybe speaks about things that are universal, speaks about things that everybody can relate to, that, that it would be a blessing to everybody. And the same goes for other types of business. You don't have to you don't have to be a Christian plumber, but you can run your plumbing business in a Christian way. You don't have to be a Christian garbage person, but if you're a Christian who picks up garbage, then you're going to do it a little bit differently than the world in a way that is a blessing to people. And so we're not called to be against the world. We're called to be for the world. Another common response is if we're not going to be against the world, then we need to isolate ourselves from it. We need to separate from the world. We need to create as much distance as we can because God has called us out of the world. He's called us out of this mess of brokenness and wickedness and sin. And so our another natural response is, I just want to get away from it. You know, I recognize how broken and twisted the world is and, and I look at it and I think about, I think about the life that I used to live and the way that I used to be and how broken it was and how lost it was. And I just want to get as far away from it as I can. And I want to surround myself with, with people who are like me, who are pursuing God. And I want to just live in that community and, and just abandon the world. Um, but that's not what Christ has called us to do either. In fact, it's the opposite of the example that He set. When God came to redeem you, He didn't do it from a distance. When He came to redeem this world, He came so close as to become one of us. He took on human flesh and He lived and He dwelt among us amidst all of the brokenness, amidst all of the hurt. When Jesus walked this earth, He he kept company with the rejects. He kept company with the, the sinners and the people who, who were the outcasts, who had the bad reputations. Those were the people who He spent time with. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes our faithful presence in the world in this way. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt 
and light. If you've been a Christian for a while or been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a lot of sermons about salt and light and how salt is a preservative and it brings flavor and, and light, um, you know, helps people to see the truth and, and it guides them. Um, but there's one thing that salt and light both have in common. Does anybody know what it is? So that they don't work from a distance. If you don't believe me, then next time you have some fries, just take your salt and dump it on the floor and see if it does you any good. Or when you get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, turn the hall light on instead and try not to pee on the floor in the bathroom. <laughs> salt and light don't do any good from a distance. And so God has called us to be the preservative amongst the decay. He's called us to be the light in the darkness. And in order to do that, we have to get close to the places that need Christ. We have to get close to the places that are, that are broken. The places that need to hear this good news that we've been entrusted with. And lastly, if you're not against the world and you're not isolated from the world, it's tempting to compromise with the world. This isn't what Christ has called us to do either. In that verse that we just read, He said, if salt has lost its saltiness, it's not good for anything. It's going to be thrown out. It's going to be trampled underfoot. But the thing about us as human beings is that we don't, we don't enjoy living in tension. We like to be comfortable. We like things in our life to be resolved. And it's irritating when there's some sort of tension in our life. Maybe you've had a relationship that you, you have an uncertain future with. Maybe you've had some sort of conflict at work that's ongoing and hasn't been resolved. And you know that it, it just really wears you down to have an ongoing tension in your life. You have trouble sleeping at night. You have trouble resting when you're at home. We like to be comfortable. We don't like to live in tension. And so, it's tempting to try to find a compromise, to try to, to try to resolve this hatred, this, this, this oppression that we might feel from the world. But that's the opposite of what God's called us to do. In order to be salty, you have to be different. You have to, you have to embody what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be submitting to His Lordship. And so, this is where Strong relationships with your Christian brothers and sisters is vital. Christ didn't call you to be salt and light in the world by yourself. He called us as the church to be salt and light in the world. In fact, a lot of the things that God wants to reveal to the world through His church, you can't reveal to them by yourself. It's the unity of the body of Christ that points to the truth about Christ. It's the way that we love each other. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father before He goes to the cross. And He says, I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me. So it's the love that we share together in community that is that example. And and it's that community, it's the context of that community where we find the accountability and the edification to live the Christian life in the midst of the world. To live in that tension and to not be worn down and to not give in to that temptation to be comfortable 
and to avoid the tension by making compromise. And so, if we're not to oppose the world, and we're not to isolate ourselves from the world, and we're not to compromise, then what is the proper response to living in this tension? Let's go back to John 15, where, where we've been reading from. In verse 27, or verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now this is Jesus talking to His disciples. So when He says, you've been with me from the beginning, He's talking to them specifically, saying, you've been with me, you can testify to the things that I've done and the things that I've said, and you can reveal the truth that I've revealed to you to the world. But that call also applies to us because we can testify not only to the work that Christ has done in our own lives, but we can testify to the gospel that He's revealed to us through His Word. And so, He says, you're going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted, but He doesn't say hate them back, He doesn't say oppose them, He doesn't say try to protect yourself from them or try to resolve this tension uh, by some sort of compromise. Instead, he says to testify. And I, I think that when we think about the idea of salt and light being present in the world, that testifying about Christ is really about allowing His work in our life to take its toll and then to be a faithful presence in the place where God has placed you. So, at the beginning of this message I said, God has placed your church here for a reason in this community. He's placed you in your job, in your home, in your school for a purpose. And it's to be that faithful presence. It's to live in the midst of that tension and to testify about Christ. And I believe that the reason He does that is because it's in that tension that the Gospel thrives. It's in that tension that the Gospel thrives. The work of Christ, the good news about His kingdom, is not threatened by the fact that the world hates you. The good news of Christ's kingdom is not in jeopardy because people don't like you. In fact, the Gospel thrives in that environment because that's where people see the contrast between the brokenness of this world and the renewal that Christ is bringing about in your own life. It's, it's this perfect display of darkness and light. You know, if, if you look over at this lamp in the corner of the room, you probably barely even noticed that lamp when you came in. This whole time I've been preaching, you probably haven't thought about that lamp at all. But if we turned off all the other lights in this room you would be constantly aware of that light. You'd be constantly conscious that that lamp was on because it would be the only thing giving light to this room. And if I took that lamp into a dark room, it would be really obvious that that lamp is turned on and that it's bright and that it is shining light. And so, as Christians, we're called to live in that tension. We're not called to be in a bright room. We're called to be in a dark place. We're not called to run from it. We're not called to compromise with it or to fight it, but to live in it faithfully. 
And so what that looks like in the workings of our everyday life is surprisingly ordinary. It's surprisingly ordinary and mundane. You know, sometimes we, we use this language of like being a light in the darkness and, and things like that, and we just really think that it's gonna be this dramatic adventure, this journey, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over somewhere, which sometimes God calls you to that. But there are dark places right here in this community. There are dark places in the place where you go to school. There are dark places in the places where you interact with people every day. And God is calling you, maybe, into those places. God has called this church into those places. And so, it doesn't always look like this dramatic fight between good and evil. That fight was already accomplished when Christ died and rose again. That was the dramatic victory. Our role sometimes is exciting and dramatic and we have great stories to tell about the goodness of God working through our life in the people around us. But oftentimes, being a light in a dark place just means presenting yourself to God, like Chad talked about. It just means living in your school as a Christian. It means making disciples in the way that you raise your children. It means displaying the love of Christ for His church in the way that you love your husband or wife. It means going to work with the right intentions. It means when I go to my job, I'm not just going to earn a paycheck to provide for myself. I'm going there to serve other people. I'm going there to use my talents and the position that God's given me to make myself useful, to contribute to the community around me. You know, that really changes your your motivation when you get up in the morning. If I'm just going to earn a paycheck, then I'm looking forward to the weekend. But if I wake up every morning, even even if my job even if my job is to dig ditches or if I'm the if I'm the trash pickup person, but I have the I have the kingdom perspective on my position in the city, then I realize that if I weren't going around to people's houses picking up their trash, then their yard would be full of trash. <laughs> you know, and so I can view that if I view it as a way to provide for myself, I'm probably not going to be very happy with my job. But if I view it as a way to serve others and to serve Christ by serving others, then I begin to recognize the good that I'm doing in the world on behalf of Christ. And if I have that mentality, people are going to be like, why are you so thrilled about picking up the trash? Why are you so happy to be cleaning toilet? You know? Or whatever job you have. Why do you have so much passion and purpose in what you do? Well, you know, it really doesn't have anything to do with my skills or the fact that I particularly enjoy this work. It has to do with the fact that I have a really great opportunity to serve other people. And that's what I've been called to do. And, and it's, man, it's just a blessing to have the opportunity to do that and to get paid to do that. Wow. Um, and so, so it can be incredibly mundane and normal. It might mean just getting to know your literal neighbors. Think about this. 
If you live on a typical city block, you have eight people, eight families maybe, who live directly around your house. There's the one across the street, there's the two that are diagonal, the two that are next to you, and then behind you. And so what if, what if you just focused on those eight households? Or maybe if you don't live on a city block, you just think about the eight people who live closest to you. What if you just focused on being a blessing to them, shining a light to them in whatever way you could, getting to know their names, getting to know their life, their circumstances, and just being a friend, being a light, loving them the way Christ loved you? Can you imagine what would happen if you just focused on that? Now imagine what would happen if every Christian in your community loved the eight people who lived around them. God has placed you in the home that you live in, and it wasn't an accident. God has placed you on the block that you live in, and it wasn't an accident. And the key to all of this is that if we want to saturate our community with the gospel, if we want to demonstrate and proclaim the good news of Christ's kingdom, all we really have to do is saturate our own life with it and then be a faithful presence. If you just preach the gospel to yourself on a regular basis and live in such a way that you actually believe that the good news of the kingdom is true, and then you just go and you be in the community, then it would change the people around you. That's what it is to be a light. That's what it is to be salt and light. And so I have a, a short film that I want to show you. Uh, we produced this film last year uh, to kind of to kind of explore this idea of being a good neighbor. Um, we had a speaker come in who talked about this idea of loving the people, loving your literal neighbors. Um, and it just really struck a chord with us. And so I wanted you to watch this film. Um, and I hope that it, that it inspires you a little bit and that it would be something that will kind of stay in your mind after this message. Um, and then after we watch this film, I, I want to talk about, um, another project that we'll be working on soon. Oh, did we get sound? Wrong about the way things are. Lots from my house. Came to an intersection where I always turn right. But decided to take a left. Have you ever been faced with the daunting realization that you were wrong about the world? Wrong about the way things are? Wrong about why they're that way? blocks from my house, I came to an intersection where I always turn right, but decided to take a left. I was surprised at how different this neighborhood looked, and it was less than a mile from my house. 
I notice little details that raise questions in my mind. Like, why is this man just sitting there at 7.30 in the morning drinking? Is he one of those people you hear about who'd rather live off of food stamps than work at a job? And what about these kids? Shouldn't they be getting ready for school? Don't their parents care enough to tell them not to play in the street? How do these people live like this? Where's their self-respect? And what about this kid? Where are his parents? What chance does he have growing up in a place like this? Most of the people I'd seen in this neighborhood started out just like him. And this thought began to chip away at my assumptions. Maybe I was wrong. Something about that experience clung to me, and I began to run through that neighborhood almost every day. I found out that the man I had seen works third shift every night, but he still can't afford to cool his old drafty house. So he sits outside on his front steps and tries to cool down with a cold beer. He hasn't seen his daughter in two weeks. She's supposed to stay with him on weekends, but she keeps canceling. And as for the kids playing in the street, their mom has to take three different buses to get to her first job. And by the time she gets home from her second job, it's already dark outside. Before I knew it, the curiosity that kept bringing me back to this neighborhood had turned to anger. I was angry at the dad who wasn't there for those kids. I was angry at the crummy little convenience store on the corner that charged twice as much for groceries as a store that I drove to. I was angry at all the systems that were supposed to help these people, but were only driving them deeper into dependence. But most of all, I was angry at myself. These were my neighbors. Stopping to talk with people, I've learned a lot. I found there were people moving into these neighborhoods to simply be good neighbors. Many are developing innovative solutions empowering people to better their own circumstances. Businesses, nonprofits, and churches are beginning to partner with neighborhoods to develop whole communities. They say isolation is what allows poverty to sustain its forceful grip in neighborhoods like this. The more I look around, the more hope I found in others trying to break through the isolation. It's not something that happens overnight, but it is happening.
the story of the Good Samaritan, the famous story that Jesus told to show us how to love our neighbors, the first thing that the Samaritan does differently from the other travelers is to cross the street. The first person crossed by on the other side, second person walked by on the other side, and I think that, I think that the way the story is told, there's this subtle, there's this subtle piece of the story where he tells the first two the same way. He crossed on the other side, he passed by on the other side. And then the first thing that he says about the Samaritan is that when the Samaritan came, he, he drew near to the person who had been beaten and robbed. And he, he bound up his wounds. And so I think that there's a principle there that in order to love our neighbors, we have to get close to them. We have to become proximate. We have to cross the street. I think if most of us were honest and we thought about the eight people who live closest to us, we wouldn't even be able to name the first names of every person, of all eight of those people. In fact, uh, the speaker that we brought in has spoken before like numbers of groups of pastors. And he says he's never been in a room where more than half of the people can name more than half of their neighbors' first names. We don't, we don't get close to people in the, in the culture that we live in. But if Christians will begin to take ownership of their communities, if Christians will begin to take ownership of communities and the issues that are facing our communities, then we have a real opportunity to not just tell people the message of the gospel, but to put it on display for them. And um, like I said, I want to talk to you about kind of the next project that we're working on and, and that I think is really relevant to sort of the callings and capacities of, of this church. Um, And that is that we're currently working on another film project and on, uh, sort of a collaborative effort among churches and nonprofits and organizations around foster care. Because if there was ever an issue that was facing our community today, it's foster care. There, and, and I'm speaking about Vanderburg County, which I realize is not this community. I don't know the numbers for this community, but I think they're similar. In Vanderburg County alone, there are over, not over, there are almost a thousand foster kids who have been removed from their homes and there are only 150 foster families to care for those kids. There are kids in our community who are waiting for an adult to take care of them. And who better than the church to address this issue? Who else in our community is, is a better person, a better subculture, a better, a better group of people to bring life and love and hope to an issue like that? And so, I don't know if foster care is the, is the, is the thing for you as an individual, 
There are a lot of ways to get involved in that particular issue besides just being a foster parent. Um, but there are a number of other issues that are facing our community. And if, if Christians will stand up and take ownership of the places that we live and own the issues, then we can make a real difference. And the message that we preach, the message that we believe, can extend beyond changing our own personal life. And it can, it can reach the community that we live in. And we can really see people in our community, the whole city, experience the whole gospel. Not just the message that your soul can be saved, but the message that God's kingdom has been established on this earth and that He loves you and He cares about you. And that God cares about the kids in our community who are waiting for adults to take care of them. That God cares about the people who are who are bound by addiction. That God cares about the people who don't have enough. They don't have enough to eat. They can't find a good job. We can we can take ownership of those issues and we can demonstrate the gospel to the community around us. I said who better to to face those issues, to take ownership of those issues than the church. And I and I think really the the biggest reason that that is true is because we are the people who have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. That God has given us His Holy Spirit. There's no other group in the community that has the resources that you have. You know, you might think of your congregation as maybe a smaller church in the community with limited financial capacity. But God has given you His Holy Spirit. There's no other entity in this community that has resources like that. And your capacity to love one another, your capacity to love others in this community, has already been evident to me in the few hours that I've spent with you. And so I just want to encourage you that I I truly believe that your church could have a tremendous impact in the community that you live in, that you as individual Christians can have a tremendous impact in the places that God has called you to. And so with that, I'd like to invite Chad up to uh, close us out. Um, but I just want to I just want to encourage you one last time um, to remember what it means to be salt and light. That you have to be radically different. You have to present yourself to God, and you have to be present. You have to be that faithful presence in the world around you. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Um, I was reading an, uh, an article the other day, and I wish I would have uh, printed it off because I won't remember each one, but it said that there are seven, the, the author of the article said there are seven mountains of culture that Christians need to fight over. And remember, like he said, we're not fighting the world. The Bible says we fight principalities in high places, and they want to own every one of those mountains. And uh, in the article, he mentioned like um, art, uh, entertainment, business, and uh, and what I'm really proud of is the fact that uh, you know when he started producing and writing with this group, and they started to uh, 
um, really focus on being used by God to minister to the greatest needs of the city. That's what they were researching. That's what they were working on. Um, they were amazed that he was so good at what he was doing, being new at it. And I can tell you, I've watched him produce movies for our youth group at a very young age. And so God has raised him up. And what we're trying to do is we're being a part of launching this ministry. Uh, he's battling on that mountain, uh, making these, uh, making these, uh, short movies. How many enjoyed that? Do you realize that now? I noticed the street signs there. That was probably a couple miles from here, right? Yeah, he filmed that in Evansville. And, uh, just right down the road, it's not even a couple miles from here. How many think that's exciting that we're doing battle against the enemy in our community? And we're going to launch this ministry. He's going to do this next project. We're going to put the full force of our church and churches all over this area behind what they're doing and other people like him. We're going to put our full force behind it. And God's going to allow us to do battle on these mountains of culture. And we're not going to isolate. We're not going to back up. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to act like it doesn't exist. We're going to make a change uh, for the glory of God in these areas. And what he's going to do, if he's okay with it, um, he's going to come back when he finishes this project and it's going to bring awareness to churches all over this area that we need foster parents raised up. And it's not just the foster parents. Uh, we're going to be pouring into ministries that are doing the work. You say, well, I can't do the foster work, but I want to be a part of it. The Bible says if you give a drink of water to a prophet, you receive the same reward as the prophet. And so in order to do battle on these different mountains, we just got to engage we got to say, I'm not going to hide from it, you know. And sometimes it's good to say, hey, this would normally, it went in my belly at McDonald's every day, but I'm going to put it aside and we're going to pour into certain ministries. And that's what God wants us to do is to begin to um, engage. And so we're going to take up a love offering and we're going to just lay hands on this family and bless them. And then we're going to return a blessing on this congregation because God's raising us up. And we're going to watch this ministry just grow over the years. How many things that's exciting? Very I'm ready to see this project. So they're trying to raise $5,000 by the end of the month to do the project. And so we're just going to, as much as you're able to give, um, if you're not able to give, uh, we're not watching to see who's, who's, who's donating, okay? Uh, but if you're able to give, it will be a great blessing. So uh, our ushers would come forward and we're just going to say a, a blessing. Hey, hey, Eddie, won't you pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, for the heart you've given Jonathan in this ministry, Lord, for your people, God. I pray that uh, that the offering is taken up, Lord, that you would use it, you'd multiply it, God, to change your kingdom, Lord, to change hearts, God. I pray that uh, that all those who would sow into this ministry, God, would reap the same uh, rewards that you're going to speak out over it, Father God. I pray that our hearts would be would be changed by the message that you spoke today, Lord. I pray that we would be all in for trying to change the community around us to be the catalyst that helps bring the change, Lord. That, that as Jonathan said, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would would use us, Lord, to to do your work. You said that you only that Jesus, you said you only did the work you saw your Father do, God. And we've seen you do so much work in our lives, God. And I pray that we'd be a part of that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.